Good morning. Well, hello. Whew, every time I get up here, I think, wow, this is an amazing group of followers of Jesus. So I am so grateful for you and uh, trust you've had a very ordinary week with all of its ups and downs. How many of you had a week like that? Yeah, plenty of opportunities to trust the Lord and recognize how easily we screw it up when we don't. Any of you had that experience this week? Well, it's good to be together. One of the great reasons that we gather regularly as followers of Christ is we forget. We just forget the basics, and we just have to have, keep having our hearts tuned up. So this morning, in the next 40, 45 minutes, uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to spend about uh, 20 minutes talking about this common calling upon all of our lives. And uh, this, to most of us, is not new, and yet it's easy to drift away from it. And if it is new to you, I, hallelujah, I'm really excited you're here, uh, because God has a purpose for you and a calling upon your life that's bigger than you, bigger than you. And, um, and so we're going to do that, and then we're going to spend the last 20 minutes or so uh, spending time practicing that uh, by partnering with those that uh, we personally support by praying for those that are in persecuted parts of the world. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes here together. So grab a copy of the Scriptures and turn over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Whether you're looking at it electronically or the paper version, you don't have a copy with you and you don't want to use the electronic copy, grab a copy out of the pew in front of you, and there's the page number, 994. Mark has been called the gospel for ADD people. <laughs> uh, the primary word, the most uh, repeated word in the gospel of Mark, what is it? How many of you know? Immediately, immediately, immediately. I'm going to read about the first uh, 18 verses or so, and, and they go over a year in time. And so, uh, it's just this amazing capturing of, of some very key events that help us to, to understand what God does when He knocks on our door and what He does when He calls us to follow Him and why He wants us to follow Him and what He wants us to be about, no matter what our vocation is, no matter what our personality is, no matter what our experiences are, no matter anything, what is this primary calling upon our lives that, in fact, He wants to use all that diversity for us to live in and to be a part of what He's doing. So, if you wouldn't mind, would you please just stand with me, and I'll read, you can follow along. But this is the Word of the living God, and let me even pray before we read. Man, we are so blessed to be able to hold copies of Your Word in our hands. And uh, man, we thank You for speaking, O oh God. We thank You for those that You use to put this in written form for us. We thank You for those, a lot of them, who died to give this Word into the English language or whatever language we're reading it in. And uh, we thank you that you have preserved it so that this morning we might hear from you. Lord, um, I want to be faithful to your word. I want to be faithful to you. 
But Lord, none of us need a word from me this morning. We all need a word from you. We need to hear your voice. And so, Spirit of God, use the word of God to help us to see Christ. And Lord, where there's hopelessness, bring hope. Where there's wounds, bring healing. Where there's laziness, move us to action. I mean, you know each one of us. Use this, your word, as, a, as you know it should be used in each of our lives for your great honor and glory. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. The gospel according to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him, and a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is the word of the living God. May he bless it. You may be seated. As I said, Mark kind of moves fast through the text here. And he begins there in verse 1 by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the word gospel is a very familiar word to us in the church. Um, but when Jesus came on the scene, the word gospel was not a Christian term, so to speak. Um, yes, it was sound a few times in the book of Isaiah. But the common usage of this word gospel was when there would be a new ruler that would come to power and the announcement of who he is and what kind of rule he will have was called the gospel. 
Every new ruler thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and he was going to be the preeminent one, and so it was always considered to be good news. And so, as the Gospel of Mark is written to the, to the church in Rome, when, when they would have heard this word gospel, they would have immediately have thought a new ruler and a new way to live in the realm, a new set of rules to live by. And in fact, that's exactly what this is an announcement of. There is a new ruler, and he's described as what? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in verse 1. He is Jesus. That was the name given to him at his incarnation to Joseph. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their what? From their sins. That is the aspect that emphasizes his humanity and his atoning work, that he would be the Savior who would save people from their sins. Christ is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe the one that God would send, the appointed one who would finally come and rule and reign the kingdom as it is to be ruled and reign. And the Son of God is a description of how He will be absolutely divine. And so here is the good news of a new ruler, one who will save you from your sins, Jesus one who is God Himself, His humanity and His deity, but He is the Christ. He is the Christ who has come. And He goes on and says, this is nothing new. Isaiah prophesied this. And then it describes the ministry of John the Baptist there in, in making straight the way, but making it very clear that He's not the one. In fact, the one that's coming, He's not even worthy to untie his filthy sandals. And then we have this amazing scene of Jesus coming to be baptized and John baptizing him as Jesus identified with humanity. And just so that nobody would miss the point of the moment, just so nobody would miss the point of who this is, the heavens opened up. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like? The heavens open up and a dove descends and God the Father speaks from heaven. Don't miss this. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, wow, can you imagine of being there that day? That's one of those times I would have loved to have been there. And then it moves right to his temptation as he is driven, he is impelled, a very strong word, out into the wilderness and where he did what the first Adam, Adam in the garden, failed at. While he was tempted to sin, he never sinned. He stood up to the temptations of Satan, thus qualifying him to be Jesus the Christ. And so he, he proves himself to Satan that I am the one who will come and redeem mankind. I am the one who will come. Now we jump into verse 14, and about a year has gone by. And there's been a lot of things happen. They're especially told to us 
in the Gospel of John in about chapters 2 up through partway through chapter 4. And so there's been the whole experience of Andrew going to get Peter and said, we've found the Messiah. There's been the experience of them going to the wedding at Cana where Jesus does his first miracle. There's the cleansing of the temple. There's a lot of things that have happened in the past year. But the gospel of Mark then takes us in and says that Jesus is proclaiming, he is preaching the gospel of God. He is proclaiming the rulership of God. He's proclaiming that there is a person who has come as king. And if there's any doubt about that, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And every kingdom has a what? Has a king. We Americans are built upon a history of not wanting a king. Right? We fought a war over it, and we celebrate it every 4th of July. If our history has proven anything, it is that we need a king, and we need a good one. And so this is good news, that the kingdom of God has come, and Jesus is the king. And a very interesting statement here about how one enters into the kingdom of God, how one becomes a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because kings establish their kingdom and they expand their kingdom in secular world history in what way? By war, by might. The mightiest one wins. King Jesus, when he came, he came in a very different way. It totally caught everybody off guard, didn't it? He comes as one of them. He comes as one who had no form or comeliness that would ever attract anybody to him physically. He wasn't an eccentric like John the baptizer, and he wasn't one on the other extreme where everybody would say, wow, that's somebody really important. He was just a normal-looking man, but man, was he different, for he was fully God. He was never anything less than God, and yet as he lived during those 30-plus years of his life, he never lived in anything beyond what a man can live. In the temptation, angels served him. He lived in the fullness of the Spirit. He always obeyed his Father. And so he comes and he says, you want to know how to enter the kingdom of God? What's it say at the end of verse 15? Repent and believe in the gospel. He says, you have to understand that you have been living your life with allegiances to other deities, to other religious systems, to yourself. You need to understand the gospel of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is king, and you must swear off all other allegiances, and you must give your full allegiance to King Jesus. You must repent and give your full allegiance to King Jesus and believe in this good news. Believe in this good news of who Jesus is 
and what he has come to do. And then he demonstrates how that is to be lived out by seeing Simon and Andrew. We would probably know him better as Peter and Andrew. Now, Peter and Andrew, as I said earlier, had, had come and followed Christ for a while and had gone to the wedding feast, and uh, evidently they were not following him at this point. And so Jesus sees them fishing, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so there's this calling to irrevocably leave and become a follower of him. And what's Jesus' commitment to them? What will he make them into? He will make them into being fishers of people, fishers of other people. Now, many of us are familiar with so-called the rest of the story over the next two and a half years about how he made them into be fishers of men. And lest you think they were super spiritual people, you just need to read the Gospels again. Lest you think that there was some quality in them that Jesus had something to work with when he called them, you need to read the Gospels again. One of our great misconceptions today is that God finds people who have something to offer him, and then he calls and builds on that. No. He's not going to share his glory with anybody. He calls people who have nothing to offer. And as they live under his reign and his rule, everything that they are gets formed under his kingship, and now that gets offered to people in a way that is helpful, and God gets the glory. That's always been his way. And so here we have this amazing picture of what it means to, to believe and become a citizen of the kingdom of God. It means that there's a repentance and a swearing of allegiance and a living of allegiance to King Jesus and a constant believing in the gospel, believing in the good news. And that's kind of summed up in following Jesus and helping other people come to follow him as well, being fishers of people. And that's just an ongoing thing. It's not like graduating from school. It's not like getting a degree. It's not like doing lots of things that we do. This is a lifelong reality in our lives. There's an initial repentance and coming to faith in Christ, believing that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins, that He is the Christ and that He is the Son of God, and there's a believing in that. But that's an ongoing practice, is it not? There's a constant repentance. Ah, I just lived in allegiance to Pat, not Christ. I repent of that again, and I believe the good news that Jesus is my King. And there's a constant work at following Christ, and there's this constant work at helping other people know who He is and to become followers of Him. Now, Jesus, as we well know, spent the next years making them into followers and fishers. <laughs> and then, even though He told them, they got totally off guard when what? After the Passover meal, 
After some amazing teaching that night, he ends up getting betrayed. He's crucified. He's resurrected. And then he comes around and reminds them of what we're told here in verse 8 of Mark 1. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, he'd already told them this. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, then one will come. He's talking about the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God will be in you and how the Spirit of God is the one that will help people to know. He'll, he'll be the great convincer. He'll convince people of their sin. He'll convince people of the righteousness of God. He'll convince people that Satan has been conquered. He will do that work. Now, if you go back a page probably in most of your Bibles to the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, we have this summation that we're probably very familiar with known as the Great Commission. It's preceded in the few verses before Jesus is resurrected here, so the whole resurrection account. In verses 11 uh, through 15, you see the conniving. You see the lies that have to be established to, to try to disauthenticate the resurrection of Jesus, how money changes hands, how all that is going on. And in the midst of the corruption and all the things that take place to try to deny the reality of who Jesus is and what has just happened, Jesus, verse 16, gathers his 11 disciples together to a mountain in Galilee and this is what he said to them, even as they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's he saying? He's saying, don't worry about those people bribing the Roman soldiers to lie about my resurrection. Don't worry about all that stuff. I mean, this is a confused, corrupt, broken world. And he could have said, and you were a part of it. Don't worry about that. Who's the authority around here? Who is the authority? Who has all authority in heaven and on earth? King Jesus does. He says, I have all authority. So don't get tweaked by all of that. But rather do this. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, some translations say, obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this great commission is what uh, we're probably fairly familiar with and um, I hope we're familiar with it, but I hope the familiarity hasn't inoculated us from the full disease of being followers living under King Jesus. And you'll remember that there's one command in verse 19, make disciples, make disciples. That would be fish and catch people and teach them how to fish. Make disciples. Now, here at Calvary, we've, this has always been a part of the mission statement. Since the church was founded in 1964, in fact, it was founded based upon the Great Commission. This has always been a part of our mission statement. 
Now, we've changed the wording of it sometimes, but this has always been the core of it. About three years ago, we put it in these terms. We go and develop devoted followers of Jesus. We go and develop devoted followers of Jesus. We chose the language develop because we were concerned that make disciples is not a common word in our culture. And we wanted anybody to understand what we're about. We're about developing people to be followers of Jesus, to recognize that He's King, to, to, to come and give their allegiance to Him, believing the gospel, following Him, and fishing for other people, helping them. Now, we took that phrase in there, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and we've fleshed that out a little bit, believing that if you take all of the commands of Scripture, you can put them in four general categories. One of them is that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, will be growing in their relationship of knowing God and living their life according to this Word. That's just a growing process of knowing God and living their lives, our lives according to the Bible. The second thing is has to do with who we are as God's people, where we will engage as family in God's church to become more like Christ. Nobody develops spiritually in isolation. And the Scriptures are clear that we need each other to become more like Jesus. The third one orients us more externally, organizing our lives to tell others about Jesus. This is the aspect of reaching people where we used to be and helping them to know. This is the fishing aspect, if you will, and helping them to know and become followers of Jesus, knowing God and engaging His family. The fourth one is, is the thing that just permeates all of Scripture and really that everything else depends upon. And that is in all things praising God, recognizing that everything good comes from Him, and recognizing that we cannot do anything, as Jesus would say in John 15, you can do nothing apart from me, and thus living dependently upon Him through prayer. Now, these are woven throughout. Now, I want to go back to what we looked at last week in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. There's a quick summary of how that chapter ended, you might remember, and if you weren't here, here it is. The three appearances of Christ. Christ has appeared to put away sin. He now appears for us in the presence of God, and He will appear for salvation, not having anything to do with sin. Now, I want to emphasize the now appears for us. Last week, because I believe it was the emphasis in Hebrews, we emphasize that He now appears for us, making sure that we understand that all of our sins, once and for all, were put away. So, I even said, I don't know how conversations go in heaven, especially between the Father and the Son, but should Satan or somebody bring up an accusation of how I have sinned, Jesus would be able to say, I paid for that one. I paid for that one. I paid for that one. But the forgiveness of sin, so that there is no condemnation to us, is only part of the gospel. It's a, it's a part of the gospel that we rightfully emphasize, but sometimes we don't emphasize the other part. 
Jesus is appearing in heaven for us today so that we might make disciples. It's not just so we'll be forgiven of our sins, but that we will be actively making disciples so that we will be actively obeying his commandments. He's not just in the forgiveness business. He's in the proactive business of extending his kingdom in our hearts, through our lives, and into the lives of other people. And we often forget this part. We pray as if it's not a reality. God, give me the power to do something. You already got it. You got the second person of the Trinity in the presence of God, making sure you have it. God, help me forgive somebody. God doesn't need to help you. He's done everything necessary. Just do it. Just do it. We have so messed up the definition of grace that we think it's passive. Grace is never passive in the Bible. Grace is always the power to obey. Always the power to obey. We often say, well, give them grace. By that we mean let it slide. The Bible never uses the word grace that way. Mercy, yes, not grace. You know what grace does? It kicks people in the rear so they'll obey God. Now, it may be more tactful than that. I hope it is. But sometimes that's just what people need. I've needed it a lot of times. I'll need it some more. The apostle Peter needed it when he slipped and started eating with only certain people. Everybody needs a chewing out. That's grace. That's biblical grace. And so what is Christ in the presence of God for today? So that each of us would be making disciples. Do you believe that? Say yes, it's true. Just agree with God. Don't figure out all the ramifications of how you're going to have to get busy about this. Just say it's true. And many and most of you are already doing this. But it's just important to know that. It's important to keep reminding ourselves of that. Now, one of the ways we get screwed up in this is we forget who God uses to make disciples. So here's three qualities that you must have if you want to be a disciple maker. You must know Jesus is your king. Jesus must be your king. You must be living under that all authority in heaven and earth. The second qualification, oh man, I hate to tell you this, because you've been told so often how special you are. <laughs> how smart you are. How gifted you are. Boy, have we screwed up our own children. No, we're all ordinary. We're all ordinary. Camilla told me about a mom who told one of her daughters one day, even if you become the expert in all the world on one subject, you're only expert in one subject. We're all very ordinary. I think one of the greatest benefits of those old churches that you might have visited is that to get into the sanctuary, you had to walk through the what? Cemetery. You had a constant reminder, I'm going to get planted here, <laughs> of just how ordinary we are. God uses ordinary people. So if you're ordinary and Jesus is your king, whoo, that's who this commission is given to. The third thing is, is they're resiliently obedient. Now, I use the word resiliently 
read through the Gospels and just watch. Watch the people that God forms, that Jesus forms, and you'll find they screwed up a lot, and, and we don't even know probably a tenth. But what did they do when they screwed up? They got back up. I mean, Jesus did whatever he did, had to do. We need to be resiliently obedient. Are we going to fail? Are we going to fail? Yes. Are we going to miss opportunities to make disciples? Yes. Are we going to wrestle with sin and fail in some areas? Yes. The question is, what do you do with that? The people who make disciples are resiliently obedient. They do fail, but guess what? Their failure develops them. They do have fears, but their fears just cause them to look to God and put one foot in front of the other and walk forward, saying, if I die, I die, but I'll die being obedient to Jesus. Looking like the idiot doesn't stop them. Why? Because Jesus is the smartest, most powerful, most humble, the most right man who ever lived, and he's king. Look like an idiot for Jesus, so be it. And it does not stop us from doing without whatever material things or whatever. Why? Because as Hebrews says, you can let all that stuff go knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so resiliency, resiliency, resilient obedience, falling forward, getting up. These are the kinds of people that God uses. Now, how can you be resilient? I mean, I think it's a quality that needs to get built into your lives. But notice the last phrase down there, which some would take as a second commandment. Because the word behold literally means look outside yourself. Look beyond yourself. How do you stay resilient? You look beyond yourself to who? Jesus, who is what? Always with you. How can you and I be resilient even when maybe nobody around us is? Because Jesus is with us. He's with us, and it creates a resiliency that is out of this world. Now, there's three interdependent ways that we make disciples. There's, we make them personally. Those are the ones we have individual relationships with. We make disciples with others in our own homes, uh, or if you're living with somebody, um, you know, if you're singles, or you're just all kinds of whoever's kind of under the same roof. Uh, as a church, there's other groups, you know, some of you are involved in youth groups on your high school, college campuses, or missions organizations, or whatever it might be, other groups that come together for this purpose. And then we do it through others. And this would be getting the gospel and making disciples in places we cannot go. And even if we went there, we don't speak the language. We, we just would not be any good at making disciples there. And so we send other people, missionaries, or we partner with believers in that place, national workers, or we may partner with entire churches. Now, what we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning doing, I'm, we'll look at the, next two, the first two next week. What we want to spend the rest of our time this morning doing is partnering with our missionaries and national workers 
through prayer, through prayer. Now, uh, let me just make a transition into that. Some of you are freaked out about praying, and you're trying to figure out, how do I graciously need to use the restroom and get out of this place? I know that. Man, I, I, know, I remember those days when I was that place in church. You know, sneak in, sneak out, anything got uncomfortable, leave. Here's what I want to say to you. If Jesus is your king, Christ is in heaven with the Father, and guess what he's praying and asking for right now? I know this. He's asking you to stay. He's asking you to stay and be a part of something by praying for people around the world. You can't do anything else, I don't think, in these next few moments that will have that significance. I say that based upon this. I'm not trying to just... I don't want you to waste the next 20 minutes. That's what I'm telling you. I can't tell you how many people have sat in my office and the end of my time meeting with them, I says, well, you go ahead and pray. And they look at me and say, I don't pray out loud. I says, well, you're going to right now. (laughs) My job is to give you grace and help you step into something that God calls you to do. And there's no sense putting this off. You'll never be ready for it. So, you start praying, and I bow my head, and I just bow my head, and I never look at them again. And sooner or later, they get the idea. And so they start praying. Those are the breakthroughs that God's about, isn't he? That's what he's about. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, get in groups of three to five. Just kind of rearrange yourself. We're going to spend about 20 minutes doing this, so get a little bit comfortable. Uh, it's really good if you're with somebody you don't even know. Okay, that's, that's really the ideal situation. But you may be around people you know. Um, If you want to get up and move and find somebody you don't know, feel free to do that. But go ahead and reorganize yourselves.